That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Having considered all of the evidence that I saw at trial along with the jurors, it's been a difficult task for me to narrow down and articulate all of the aggravating factors, because really there are so many here. Murder is the most serious offense. And the most unimaginable type of murder is to have a mother murdering her own children. And that's exactly what you did. You were involved in and guilty of conspiring to murder another group of children's mother, Tammy Daybell, who had children of her own. And despite the jury convicting you with overwhelming evidence, you still sit here before the court today and said you didn't do it. Hello, welcome to a special follow-up episode of Gem State. As many of you may already know, Lori Vallow-Daybell had her sentencing hearing uh, just just on Monday. It just happened. Lori Vallow-Daybell was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole on five separate counts. Through all of the pre-trial hearings, the motions, the jury selection, even the trial itself, there were two people who we never heard from. Not in any real sense, at least. The first is Lori Vallow herself. She refused to take the stand, and she remained quiet throughout the trial. The other is Judge Boyce. But that all changed at the sentencing hearing. For the first time since she spoke to Nate Eaton with East Idaho News, albeit very briefly as he chased them through a parking lot in Hawaii shortly before she was arrested, Lori actually spoke. One of the things that kept coming to my mind as I listened to her speak for the first time was just how absolutely gut-wrenching this must be to listen to for the family members. Family members of Tammy Daybell were there in the courtroom. Some of Lori's own family members were there. Kay and Larry Woodcock, who were JJ's grandparents, were there. Kay gave a very eloquent and very heartbreaking uh, victim impact statement. Everyone who was there, everyone tied to this case, this had to have just been an absolutely gut-wrenching thing to listen to. I'm going to play her statement here in a moment 
for you. But one thing that I do want to make very clear from the start is that in the sentencing hearing and as in life, Lori Vallow will not have the last word here. I would like to start by quoting John from the New Testament in the Bible. In John chapter 8, verse 7, Jesus says, He that is without sin among you, let him cast first cast a stone at her. Then in first, verse 15, Jesus says, Ye judge after the flesh, I judge no man. And yet if I judge, my judgment is true. Jesus knows me. And Jesus understands me. I mourn with all of you who mourn. Jesus Christ knows the truth of what happened here. Jesus Christ knows that no one was murdered in this case. Accidental deaths happen. Suicides happen. Fatal side effects from medications happen. I have a different perspective in life because in 2002, when I was pregnant with Tylee, I died in the hospital while in labor with her. They tried to stop my labor. They put me on the table and they put something in my IV and I felt my spirit falling to the floor. I was standing near my pregnant body watching the doctors try to revive me, which took them a few minutes. In that time, my sister Stacy was standing to my left. I turned to hug her and was surprised that her spirit was as tangible as a physical body because I knew I was in spirit and she was in spirit. She said she needed to show me some things and we went to heaven. I later returned to my body. Because of this experience, I have access to heaven and the spirit world. Since then, I have had many communications from people now living in heaven, including my children, Tylee Ashland and Joshua Jackson, my sisters, Stacy and Lolly, my aunts and my uncles and my grandparents. I have had many communications with Jesus Christ, the Savior of this world, and our heavenly parents. I've had many angelic visitors have come and communicated with me and even manifested themselves to me. Because of these communications, I know for a fact that my children are happy and busy in the spirit world. Because of my communications with my friend, Tammy Daybell, I know that she is also very happy and extremely busy. I have always mourned the loss of my loved ones, and I have lost many in this mortal world. However, I know them more than most people. I know where they are now and what they're doing. I know how wonderful heaven is, and I'm homesick for it every single day. I know we all lived in heaven before we were born on earth, and we were all adult spirits in the heavenly realm. We chose to come to earth as mortals. Heaven is more wonderful than you can possibly imagine. I do not fear death, but I look forward to it. I, do not, I did not want to return to my body when I was out of it, 
even though my son Colby, who I adored more than anything, was only six years old at the time, and I was about to give birth to this new baby girl that I wanted so badly. I was a young mother, and you would think I wouldn't want to leave my children, but as I stood in heaven, I did not want to go back. I thought they would be fine without me because I was peaceful, and I was happy, and I was home. But then I was told by Jesus that I needed to go back and complete things that I had covenanted or promised to do before I was born. This caused me a lot of distress because I knew heaven was my real home and I only wanted to be there. I was free from pain, emotional and physical. But then I was shown how I would help my children and others in the future. So ultimately, I did agree to go back to my body. Kylie has visited me. She is happy and very busy. Tylee is free now from all the pains of her life. Tylee suffered horrible physical pain her whole life. I sat with Tylee in the hospital year after year after year while she screamed in pain when the morphine wasn't even enough to take away the pain of her pancreatitis. I sat there while she cried and I held back her hair while she threw up. And I am the only person on this earth who knows how much Tylee suffered in her life. She had pain every single day. She never felt good. Her body did not work right. And I don't know if that was from complications from me dying while she was being born or something else, but she had a very difficult life. She was sexually abused by her own biological father since she was three years old and she was forced by family court to go visit him for 10 years against her will. I fought for her in court. I protected her. I tried to protect her with my whole life. I tried to protect her. I worried about her every single day. Tylee had to get her GED because she couldn't go to school every day because she never felt good. She felt sick. Nobody knows this because Tylee, like myself, tries to put on a good front, tries to be a happy person, tries to have hope in life, tries to know that she's here for a purpose and that she has an eternal purpose to be on this earth. But I never stopped worrying about her. One of the times that Tylee came to me as a spirit after she died, she said, she commanded me and she said to me, stop worrying, mom. We are fine. She knows how I worry and how I miss her. The first time JJ visited me after he passed away, he put his arm around me and he said to me, you didn't do anything wrong, mom. I love you. And I know you loved me every minute of my life. JJ, Joshua Jackson, was an adult spirit. And he was very, very tall when he put his arm around me. He is busy. He is engaged. He has jobs that he does there. And he is happy where he is. His life was short, but JJ's life was meaningful. 
JJ was a wonderful person and touched the lives of everyone. And I adored him every minute of his life. My eternal friend, Tammy Daybell, has visited me on several occasions. She came to bring me peace and comfort, and I know that she is extremely busy helping her family, especially her children and grandchildren, and I have a great love for Tammy. My beautiful children, Tylee Ashlyn and Joshua Jackson, rest safely this day in the arms of Jesus. My wonderful friend, Tammy Daybell, rests safely this day in the arms of Jesus. And I look forward to the day when we are all reunited and I too will rest with them in the arms of my Jesus. It's difficult to listen to. I think it strikes me that she just, she remains as delusional as ever. Obviously she's, she's very sick and dealing with clear mental health issues combined with everything else that's been going on. But specifically as she, she was speaking about the visits that she received from, from the kids, it just hits especially hard. In the trial, we learned that, her hair was actually duct taped in the the trash bag that was used to wrap up JJ's body uh, before he was buried in a shallow grave. The evidence showed, and the jury ultimately ruled, that she was there. She was complicit. She was active in the murder of her two children. Now to speak about them visiting her as angels from the, the spirit realm from heaven, and how happy they are and how they don't hold her responsible that they know that she's she's innocent just as further it further twists the knife i think for a lot of the victims and the the family that that were there that were present when she called Tammy Daybell her eternal friend that just has to it just has to make you see see red if you're actually one of Tammy Daybell's friends, one of her kids, one of her family members. As Judge Boyce pointed out in his his statement that you'll hear, that she was shopping for wedding rings to marry Chad Daybell while Tammy was still alive. She was planning her wedding to Chad Daybell while Tammy was still alive. It's a major reason why she was convicted of the conspiracy for her murder. This is, it's just, it's brutal. It's insulting. And frankly, it, it's more than that. It's an assault on the very fabric of our humanity and on the, the community that separates us from every other living species on earth. As I mentioned previously, though, Lori Vallow will not have the last word here. That right is being reserved for Judge Boyce. Through every hearing, through the jury selection, even the trial, that was absolutely filled with gruesome details and evidence, Judge Boyce remained steadfastly dedicated to ensuring that the defendant received due process under the law. He was 
uh, stone-faced throughout the, the entire proceeding. And for every story we have written, for every podcast we've produced, for every story that we've reported, I can't help but note that the court of public opinion had already convicted her. I think I too, on, on some level, even though I try to remain impartial uh, as a journalist, I too, you know, had, had my opinions about her. I'm human after all. But in the end, for the first time, we actually get the opportunity to hear what Judge Boyce thinks. All right, the court will conclude then with my own. Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Allow your imagination to be piqued by stories that are brought to life through captivating sound design, eerie soundscapes, and dynamic performances. As an Audible member, you'll be able to keep your heart rate up month after month because you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. If you're in the mood for a shocking psychological thriller, check out None of This is True by Lisa Jewell. Embrace brand new exclusive thrillers from best-selling authors who are guaranteed to keep you gripped. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. That's audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Review of the matter and then pronounce sentence. Uh, Ms. Fallow, based on the jury's verdict of guilty in this case, it is the judgment of this court that you're guilty of the following counts of the amended indictment. Count one, conspiracy to commit first-degree murder of Tylee Ryan and grand theft by deception. Count two, first-degree murder of Tylee Ryan. Count three, conspiracy to commit first-degree murder of Joshua Jackson Vallow and grand theft by deception. Count four, first-degree murder of Joshua Jackson Vallow. Count five, conspiracy to commit first-degree murder of Tamara Tammy Daybell. And count seven, grand theft. Carefully reviewed the record of this case, beginning with your prior criminal history. Very notably, you're 50 years old. These are the first criminal convictions ever had. I will note, however, in addition to these convictions, I have two additional conspiracy to commit first-degree murder cases pending in Arizona. And it's somewhat incredible in this case that uh, seeing you've gone from no criminal history in your life, now having been convicted of two counts of first-degree murder, three counts of conspiracy to commit first-degree murder, and you continue to face more additional counts of conspiracy to commit first-degree murder in another state. I've looked at the recommendations in the pre-sentence investigation report. It ultimately recommends a prison sentence stating, quote, incarceration under the custody of the Idaho Board of Correction. Normally, the court would have some additional information to rely on in fashioning its sentence, including the benefit of recommendations based on a gain evaluation 
substance abuse report, mental health review, other reports. However, elected not to cooperate with the pre-sentence investigation. As I would note on page 23 of the pre-sentence investigation report, it states, quote, Lori Vallow Daybell intends to remain silent during the pre-sentence investigation process. She has the packet, but does not intend to answer any questions of evaluators or investigators. Quote, no attempts were made to complete the court-ordered screenings due to her refusal. I'm advising you that that was your choice to not cooperate in the pre-sentence investigation, but it left me without some additional information that potentially could have been mitigating in your case. And as I proceed with the sentencing, I'll note those deficiencies in the information I normally would have in a pre-sentence investigation report. As has been mentioned by both sides here, the court has to consider certain sentencing objectives when I sentence somebody, and these are set out in cases including State versus Two Hill, which is a Court of Appeals case, 103 Idaho 565, and it's been adopted by our Supreme Court as well. And I have to consider four main objectives. Number one, the protection of society, which is the primary objective. Two, deterrence of the individual and public generally. Three, possibility of rehabilitation. And four, punishment or retribution for wrongdoing. That states, or case states, moreover, it's clear as a matter of policy in Idaho, the primary consideration is the good order and protection of society. All other factors must be subservient to that end. I've also reviewed and considered the criteria set forth in an Idaho statute, 192521, on the question of whether or not you should be confined to prison and to what extent. That statute sets out a variety of factors I have to consider in weighing whether uh, a long prison term here would be appropriate. Some of the attorneys cited already to some of the provisions of that statute, and again, it talks about the primary consideration of the protection of society and also talks about the impact on the victim, the possibility of risk reduction through rehabilitation and deterrence are also to be considered. There are some factors laid out in that statute that are not necessarily controlling, but weigh in favor against either imprisonment or in this case where imprisonment's required an extensive imprisonment term. Some of those factors under part two of this statute is the defendant's criminal conduct neither caused nor threatened harm, which is clearly not the case here, that the defendant did not contemplate the conduct would cause or threaten harm. Again, that would not apply here. The defendant's criminogenic needs indicate the defendant will benefit from supervision and treatment in the community. That's unavailable as community treatment can't occur with a minimum prison sentence required here. Another factor, were there substantial grounds tending to excuse or justify the defendant's criminal conduct, though failing to establish a defense? I don't find those apply given the facts of this case. Other factors, the victim of the defendant's criminal conduct induced or facilitated the commission of the crime. That did not occur here. Another part talks about compensation, which I don't find would be appropriate here other than on the grand theft charge. Part G, the defendant has no history of prior delinquency or criminal activity or has led a law-abiding life for a substantial period of time before the commission of the present crime. That is the single most mitigating factor I see in this case. 
uh, again, it's unbelievable that at your age, you have no prior criminal history. And now you sit here convicted of the most serious of charges. I also have to consider whether the criminal conduct was the result of circumstances unlikely to recur. Based on the evidence in this case, and in particular, considering the statement you just made to the court, I find it weighs against me finding in mitigation for that factor. And then finally, the character and attitudes of the defendant indicate the commission of another crime is unlikely or the defendant demonstrates amenability to treatment. So those are the mitigating factors. Then in aggravation, we have more factors to consider. Is there an undue risk that during the period of suspended sentence or probation, the defendant would commit another crime harmful to another person? Would a lesser sentence depreciate the seriousness of the defendant's crime? Will imprisonment provide appropriate punishment and deterrent to the defendant? Will imprisonment provide an appropriate deterrent for other persons in the community? And a factor that would not apply here is the defendant a multiple offender or professional criminal. I don't have an LSI score, which is one value I can look at to help determine whether or not you'd be likely to reoffend. I don't have that because you wouldn't cooperate with the report. So considering here that you've lived a law-abiding life and for a long time, you were obviously a good mother, sister, daughter, and friend to many people. I have to take that into account. You've served a very long time of local jail, over 1,200 days, and the report is you've been a great inmate, never caused a problem for anyone in the jail, and you should be commended for that, and that also uh, shows that you are capable of that. I believe your counsel, when they tell me you're an intelligent person, up until all these events began to transpire, you've achieved goals in your life, you've done important things in your life. And I'd note that despite some of the comments here today, uh, I have found that during my interactions with you throughout this long case, including your trial, uh, you've been respectful of the court. All right, the court uh, will next consider... And I think it must be considered in mitigation that you do have mental health issues. I've dealt with those throughout the context of this case where there were commitment proceedings. I've reviewed those reports and have that personal information from having gone through the determinations of whether or not you were competent or fit to stand trial. The most current diagnosis the court has is from Dr. Watson and from February of this year states you suffer from, and I'll quote, delusional disorder mixed type with bizarre content and hyper-religiosity, continuous and unspecified personality disorder with histrionic and narcissistic features. So obviously a very complex diagnosis that's been made here, whether or not that can or how it would be treated, I think by all accounts is unknown at this time. I've reviewed your personal history, including statements from your own immediate family members, and it's clear that something radically changed in you that led you to where you are today. Uh, in a statement made in the pre-sentence investigation report, your mother stated it perhaps best and said that you are not now, quote, the person she knew. 
The record in this case, including all the evidence I observed during the jury trial, indicates that if it wasn't already occurring, that this relationship with the co-defendant seemed to be a catalyst for the change. At this point, I'll note that I will not be making comments on any other co-defendants in this case, as your co-defendant is currently presumed innocent and awaiting trial. And some, there are significant mitigating factors the court has to consider here when I consider you and your life as a whole, and that does make the case difficult. Typically, when I see somebody to be sentenced and they don't have a prior criminal history, they're given opportunities to first prove themselves on probation or avoid a lengthy term of incarceration. However, of course, some crimes are so serious that even with mitigation, there is no other reasonable option except for a prison term and a long prison term. And sadly, you've been convicted of and have committed the most serious crimes possible. And those crimes also require an equally serious punishment. So this is the part where I will consider what I think are the factors in aggravation. I went through those factors in the statute that I look at, and as I'll explain, I find that five of those factors weigh against you and in favor of a lengthy period of imprisonment. First, the case itself. I'll discuss that. There was a lot of pretrial litigation in the case. You decided to take your case to a jury trial. I will state and emphasize that I firmly believe it's the right of every person in our country to exercise their right to a jury trial, and they're afforded the full due process of the law. It's been somewhat disheartening to me to realize that there are many people who think that they can predetermine a case and somebody shouldn't be afforded their full rights of due process before they are convicted of a crime. Well, I didn't make all of the rules that govern criminal cases, but I took an oath to uphold the rules that are there, and I make every effort to ensure that people's due process is protected because that's an important duty of mine. Everyone has a right to be presumed innocent, and everyone in, the criminal case, in a criminal case does have a right to a jury trial. Uh, sometimes I feel like maybe too many cases settle and there should be more trials because it's a right people are entitled to exercise. You exercise that right and I in no way hold it against you that you decided to have your case determined by a jury. That's your right and it does not impact or influence my decision in sentencing. Before trial, I did not delve into all of the evidence or facts of this case and only address those when necessary to make rulings on motions because I wanted to keep objective through the proceedings and remain impartial. You were afforded all of your due process in this case, and ultimately, after presentation of the evidence, a jury did find you guilty on all counts. I bring that up now because when there is a trial, I learn and see all of the facts along with the jurors. And that's a different scenario than when someone enters a plea and I'm only allowing argument in a sentencing and not sitting through the evidence as I did here. Having considered all of the evidence that I saw at trial along with the jurors, it's been a difficult task for me to narrow down and articulate all of the aggravating factors because really there are so many here. Murder is the most serious offense. 
And the most unimaginable type of murder is to have a mother murdering her own children. And that's exactly what you did. You were involved in and guilty of conspiring to murder another group of children's mother, Tammy Daybell, who had children of her own. And despite the jury convicting you with overwhelming evidence, you still sit here before the court today and said you didn't do it. You came here to East Idaho, where I've spent my life, and moved here from another place already with plans in progress to make your children disappear. The evidence bore that out at trial. You removed your children from their home in Arizona, alienated them from friends and family, got rid of JJ's service dog. You moved to Rexburg, a community where you could find a thousand random families to take your children, and you brought them here to murder them. You had so many other options. You could have gotten divorced. You could have found someone to take care of those kids. But as the state was able to prove at trial, you chose the most evil and destructive path possible. You killed those children, according to the state's theory, and I believe it, to remove them as obstacles and to profit financially. You justified all of this by going down a bizarre religious rabbit hole, and clearly you are still down there. While you were enjoying your new life in Hawaii, countless law enforcement officers, family members, and volunteers were searching for your children. And I don't think to this day you have any remorse for the effort and heartache you caused for others who looked for your children when you knew where they were and knew they were dead. They were found dead, burned, mutilated, and dismembered, and buried like animals. After you knew they were dead, you collected public-funded assistance payments meant for them, and that was blood money you kept for yourself. And that's the grand theft charge you've been convicted of. Your sister... Your son talked to you, begged with you while you were in the jail during phone calls I heard at trial. And those were very sad and difficult calls to hear. And you didn't provide any assistance or comfort to them. During the trial, when the evidence came out about how these children were found and the state they were in, you wanted to be excused and not have to watch the evidence, and we're fine to let all the other people in the courtroom, including the jurors, have to bear through that. However, I ruled that you did have to sit and watch and see the result of your heinous crimes. The jurors in your case fulfilled their duty admirably. All 18 jurors we had, because we had alternates, went through the entire trial and faithfully fulfilled all their obligations and all the instructions. So we were able to get impartial jurors who weren't already tainted by pretrial publicity to decide your case. And I do thank the jurors publicly for the service they rendered. Those jurors I noted during the trial were very good at keeping 
their emotions in check and keeping stone-faced as they're supposed to do and be objective until the case is done and submitted. However, I did note at certain times during the trial, such as when there were videos and pictures shown of you in Hawaii at this time frame when JJ and Tylee were lying in shallow graves, the disgust on the faces of those jurors was evident and shocking revelations about what happened here just kept coming through the trial. The crime scene was a horrific thing to have to review. And there's images that I will never get out of my mind. And I'm just looking at the pictures, law enforcement officers who had to deal with the aftermath of what you did, I'm sure were traumatized. And I know it was traumatic as well for the jurors who had to sit through and see the photographs of these dead and mutilated and buried children. For those people who loved and cared about JJ and Tylee and Tammy Daybell, to have to see those photographs of them through trial of their dead and desecrated bodies must have been devastating. Tammy Daybell was murdered as a result of your conspiracy. She was, by all accounts, a healthy, happy mother and wife through a lot of her life. And you were out shopping for wedding rings to marry her husband while she was still alive. You were planning a wedding to her husband while she was still alive. You haven't shown any remorse for any of those actions. And she ended up being murdered, buried, had to be disinterred later so an autopsy could be performed in order to prove the evidence of what you had done. She didn't deserve any of that. You took her life away. You destroyed that family, fractured it to the point where in the information I've had through the PSI, there are relationships that will probably never be mended that have rippled as a result of what's happened. JJ and Tylee, of course, seven years old, 16 years old, were separate people whose lives were cut way too short because of you, never got to grow up and be adults the family and friends who have provided their impact statements, of course, have stated it better than I could about who they were. And it is a loss for everyone that you took them away from this world. And it is the most shocking thing, really, I can imagine, is that a mother killed her own children. And you simply have no remorse for it. Even sitting here today, there's no remorse for what you did. After all of this evidence through trial, you haven't shown any remorse. You haven't said you're sorry. You haven't done anything to seek leniency from this court. There's been a lot of people during trial and here who explain the devastation you're responsible for. And you've forever altered the lives not in a good way for many, many people, destroying family relationships, taking people away that were loved, cared for, and needed. You may not believe to this day that you've done anything wrong and you still may think you're justified by your religious beliefs for what happened here. 
I'm not here to judge that, but I don't believe that any God in any religion would want to have have this happen, what happened here. And your crimes are heinous and egregious, and that alone can constitute a major aggravating factor that requires me to impose a serious length of incarceration. So after weighing all those factors, I need to, in aggravation, I find that the sentences I'm about to impose will serve the interest of justice by, number one, preventing you from ever doing this again, that they will not depreciate the seriousness of your crimes, will punish you appropriately, and will serve to deter both you and others. So that concludes the aggravating factors the court considered. At this time, then, I am prepared to pronounce sentence. Mr. Thomas, Mr. Archibald, and the defendant, would you please rise for the pronouncement of sentence? Based on all the relevant circumstances, including the evidence and recommendations presented in court today, it's the judgment of this court. Ms. Fallow, you'll be sentenced as follows. Well, first note, I'm going to take up the counts out of order as I want to address the substantive murder sentences first. So on count two, the charge you were convicted of, the, the first degree murder of Tylee Ryan, you are sentenced to the custody of the State Board of Corrections to serve the maximum allowed sentence of fixed determinate term of life imprisonment with no possibility of parole. On count four, the charge of the first degree murder of Joshua Jackson Vallow, you are sentenced to the custody of the State Board of Corrections to serve the maximum allowed sentence, a fixed determinate life imprisonment sentence with no possibility of parole. I'll next address the three conspiracy counts you've been convicted of. Note under Idaho Code 1817-01, the punishment for those crimes is the same as the underlying offenses you combine to commit. The offenses you combine to commit was first-degree murder, so those may be punishable also by imprisonment for life. I look at what the appropriate sentences should be for the conspiracy charges. At first, I wondered if they should be as long of a term or serious as the substantive murder charges. However, what I've concluded is that these conspiracy convictions merit the same grave punishment for several reasons. First, the conspiracies in which you engaged in have had far-reaching impacts on many people besides the deceased victims. And with what the courts heard, I am convinced that the conspiracy charges also merit the same serious sentence. So on count one, the conspiracy to commit first-degree murder of Tylee Ryan and grand theft by deception, sentenced to the custody of the State Board of Corrections to serve the maximum allowed sentence to fixed determinate term of life imprisonment with no possibility of parole. Count three, the conspiracy to commit first-degree murder of Joshua Jackson Vallow and grand theft by deception, sentenced to the custody of the State Board of Corrections to serve the maximum allowed sentence, a fixed determinate term of life imprisonment with no possibility of parole. And on count five, the conspiracy to commit the first-degree murder of Tamara Tammy Daybell, you're sentenced to the custody of the State Board of Corrections to serve the maximum allowed sentence, a fixed determinate term of life imprisonment with no possibility of parole. 
Finally, the court will address count seven, which is the charge of grand theft. On that charge, court is going to sentence you to a fixed determinate term of five years of prison, followed by an indeterminate term of five years of prison for a total 10-year term of imprisonment on the grand theft. Court will next consider whether sentences should be imposed consecutively or concurrently. I generally don't, I'm a pragmatic person and I've struggled with the point of a consecutive sentence when in Idaho life sentence is just that, a life sentence without parole. And I've thought it through. However, when I looked at this case and the more I thought about it, I've determined that because there are three separate murders with three separate victims that occurred at three separate times, then running counts concurrently would not serve the interests of justice because those crimes all need to be taken into account separately and distinctly and individually. And you need to be held accountable separately for each of the three murders. So on those counts, the court will run consecutively the count two murder of Tylee Ryan, consecutive to count four, the murder of Joshua Jackson Vallow, and count five will run consecutive to count two and four, the conspiracy to commit first degree murder of Tamara Tammy Daybell. So three consecutive life terms of prison. The remaining counts will be concurrent to the counts that are consecutive. And I don't think that his ruling or the sentencing was surprising to anyone. Life in prison without the possibility of parole seems like the only option there really could be. Judge Boyce noted that she still hasn't shown any remorse and she persists in her delusions. He even noted at one point in his statement there that because of her statement, it was the final final straw that made him choose to have consecutive life sentences. As I reflect back on this case, on the podcast and all the reporting that we've done, I, I've realized that while our desire for justice may now find some level of, of satisfaction, some small level at least, there really isn't satisfaction to be had in this case. There are two innocent young children, their lives totally ahead of them. They were brutally murdered and they were buried like animals by their mother. One loving and kind mother, wife, sister, and friend is now dead. And no sentence can really bring any of them back. And in this whole process, Lori, who by all accounts was once a caring mother, a good friend for many years, whatever it is that happened to her along the way here, she has become very lost, whether that was her relationship with Chad, mental health issues, a combination of, of the two. We, we will probably never know. 
But whatever delusions she gave herself over to, she's now just a broken and lost woman who's going to die alone in a jail cell. There's no such thing as a happy ending in a case like this. I think we can take a measure of solace in knowing that the system of justice, however slow and winding it may be, worked. We can take solace in our own family and in our own friends. We take solace in the community around us. We can hold them close. We can wake up tomorrow and choose to do better. Well, at CBS2 Boise, we are very hard at work on expanding our catalog into new stories. We're going to be covering the case of Brian Koberger. He is accused of killing four college students at the University of Idaho. We're also working on several other stories and we're gonna to continue to expand and enhance and get better at, at this process of bringing reporting to this, this medium. And so we hope that you will stick with us, that you will explore these new projects that we're working on with us, that you will share them and, and tell your friends and family about them as, as the new ones come out. We're also going to be coming back to, to cover the case and the trial of Chad Daybell, which is scheduled for April of next year. Please make sure that you are subscribed and you have your notifications on so that you can see the new projects as they're coming out. You can stay up to date. Um, any new developments that come up in, in this case, we will um, keep you updated right here. Follow along. Uh, you can follow along with all of our up-to-date reporting at IdahoNews.com. You can follow us at CBS2Boise on all of our social media platforms. We appreciate you sticking with us through this whole, this whole process. I'm Ryan Oswald, and this is Gem State, the trials of Chad and Lori Daybell. <laughs>